This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. All right, podcast fans, how you doing? A brand new episode, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Thank you to everyone out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, support the show. Really means a lot to me. Got a, at least a semi-rare non-sports guest and a non-sports episode today. It's one that I'm excited about, and I'm excited about it because of the guest. I've said it a few times before. I feel like it kind of bears repeating when I don't have an episode filled with sports. And that's this. I rebranded this podcast, called it Talking Buffalo Podcast. Did not call it Talking Buffalo Sports Podcast. And I did that on purpose. I did it because I want to feature some content, at least from time to time, that's just not limited to only sports talk. And I'm going to be honest with you about today's guest. Was it long ago? Didn't know much about her at all. Talk about Madison Carter, by the way. Other than the fact that she's a reporter and an anchor at Channel 7 in Buffalo, I would consider myself, and again, I'm being honest here, a casual fan of the local news, tune in sometimes, actually more than sometimes, pretty regularly via a slingshot setup. I have, I'm now down here in Florida. I have a family member who has a slingshot in Buffalo. I hook up through his box, and that way I'm able to watch local Buffalo programming, including the news from Florida so that I could keep up with everything with my hometown. But again, I'm not really locked into the local news aspect of it other than a story here or there. It's usually, of course, for me anyway, about sports. I want to see what Matthew Beauvais or Josh Reed, Adam Benini, depending on what channel I have on that night, what they're talking about locally in terms of Buffalo sports. Anyway, COVID obviously kind of changed the game for news. And then, of course, the protesting following that absolutely reprehensible murder of George Floyd took over. More specifically, for the purpose of this episode anyway, I'm talking about Buffalo. It got ugly. Uh, A few weeks ago, I'm watching TV live on the air on Saturday night. It's about 11 o'clock. I turn the slingshot on and I join uh, Channel 7 News. And Ashley Rowe was there sitting behind the desk and Madison Carter is live on the air downtown. At that point, that was the point. I was blown away. And I mean, blown away by the composure that Madison kept while all this crazy shit is going on around her. I'm talking about a van being lit on fire, screaming, destruction of property, the police, rubber bullets flying, tear gas, stuff like that. People just flat out losing their minds. But Madison, the professionalism, the the composure, 
delivering the news in real time during a literal crisis. This is not pre-produced. He's live on the air. No time to think about it. Just to react and the report. I'm like, wow, this woman is absolutely crushing it. Doing an incredible job. I said at that point, right away I said this too. I said, I got to talk to her. I need to get to know Madison Carter. I got to get her on this show. Now, since then, I've went back and I've watched several of her stuff online prior to the protesting stuff and some COVID stuff too. And good Lord, man, Woo. she's unbelievably talented. I'll tell you what, I'm even willing to drop a major hot take on you right now. And I never do this. When it comes to sports, I like to give a politically correct answer about who my favorite sports media guys or sports media women are in Buffalo. I like a bunch of them, maybe a few more than others, but I ain't really trying to ruffle any feathers. So I never give an honest, complete answer. I kind of skate around it a little bit because it's just not worth it. But I, I, I look, when it comes to the new side, if you're going to ask me that question, I'm going to give you an honest answer. And I'll tell you what, it'll take me about a half a second right now. And I'm going to tell you straight up, Madison Carter is the best thing going today in the Buffalo TV news media. And I'm not even sure it's close either. And that's no disrespect, by the way, to any other reporter out there. There's a bunch of good ones, really good ones. I just feel like right now, Madison Carter is just on, an, she's on another level in my book. And anyway, Madison's on the podcast today and we had a great chat. And I'll tell you, I was anticipating this interview about as much as any interview that I've had in quite a while on this podcast. Because again, I had never talked to Madison prior to this, and I barely knew anything about her. After talking to her, look, <laughs> she's everything that I thought she was going to be, and even more articulate, honest, uh, candid, witty, proud, obviously very talented, just a beautiful person inside and out. We talk about her life and her career. She grew up near D.C. She decided by the time she was in fifth grade, that she was going to look forward to college. Imagine that, fifth grade, and you already know that you're ready to go to college. Which, by the way, she graduated from Syracuse. She went there. She graduated in just two years. Her first TV job is in Charlottesville. And she's barely even gotten her feet wet in the industry. And she's reported in the middle of those white nationalist rallies down there that became world news. Just crazy. Right away, too. Uh, we talk about her coming to Buffalo why she gave up an opportunity to work in Georgia for far more money too, by the way, to take the job at Buffalo at Channel 7. We talk about what it's felt like for her personally and professionally to be anchoring and reporting news during times like we're living through right now. There's a lot of heavy stuff, but also plenty of fun stuff too, including our fun fact finale where we learn a lot of cool stuff about her. Nice little peel back the curtain way to end a great interview. I do have to warn about one thing, folks. It's pretty unavoidable at this point, too, right now. So we hooked up via Skype, and the sound, particularly on Mattis's end, gets shaky a handful of times throughout. I mean, here's the problem. So many people right now are still working from home because of COVID, and the internet is being overloaded, overworked like it never has before. So again, it's unavoidable, shaky connections here and there. It happens a few times in the middle of one of her points, but it is what it is. Not a big deal at all. We're all pretty much used to Skype and Zoom audio sounds over these past few months. At any rate, though, I'm going to get to it right now. And again, I absolutely adore her both as a professional 
and as a person. Here it is, my chat with Madison Carter. All right, my guest today is someone who, to be quite honest with you, I wasn't really familiar with before these horrible incidents of late that have dominated the news on every level had started to take shape. Since then, I've had my eyes on her reporting almost daily and nightly on TV, even from Florida via my slingshot feed in Buffalo. Also, her coverage on social media has been outstanding as well. I think she's become a, a true breakout star, and that's not a term that I use lightly here, man. I think everyone in Western New York is sitting up and starting to recognize that. Now I've seen a lot of compliments going around social media, very well-deserved. Talking, of course, about Madison Carter from WKBW-TV. Hi, Madison. How are you doing? Hey, wow. That was quite an intro. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I love the breakout star reference. I come from a sports background, so that just really, that was like my gold star on my chest. So <laughs> thanks for that. Well, I'm pretty much physically incapable of talking about anything without tying it into some kind of sports reference. And by the way, props to your mom or your dad, whoever came up with it on your name. That's the best name ever. My daughter's name is Madison. I told you that when we first uh, started talking. So I even love your name. <laughs> that is the best name. You're right. So you, uh, you all had the same idea. Madisons go very far in life. I can tell you that. <laughs> now, obviously, we're going to circle back to some current events and the job that you've done covering it, tackle some major issues that are important because you can't avoid it. I don't care what kind of conversation we're having, but I kind of want to also stick to the script of this podcast, so to speak, and that's it's about learning more about you and your career and some fun stuff that I like doing with interviews on this podcast, giving fans and listeners an opportunity to learn more about you as a person and your path through life thus far. So you're good with that, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm excited for this. Let's go. All right. Well, let's go all the way back. Uh, you grew up okay. in Northern Virginia, close to Washington, D.C. Where exactly did you grow up in? What was childhood like for a very young Madison Carter? Oh, a very young Madison Carter. So I was born in Fairfax, Virginia. This is Northern Virginia. And when people ask me now, I tell them I'm from D.C. because Nova kind of has a rep for being a bunch of you know, kind of snotty kids, honestly. <laughs> it's right outside of D.C. Uh, there was a big boom when AOL got there. So then the, the whole town just kind of became a bunch of like new money, a bunch of tech people moved in. And this was when my dad had his first job there. Um, in Ashburn, Virginia. So um, yeah, growing up there, it was interesting. It was what I thought a great childhood until I left later on. And then I realized I was actually in a bubble for a lot of my life, to be honest. Now, growing up in that bubble when you were younger, what were some things that you enjoyed doing as a kid, whether it's sports, dance, whatever it may oh. have been that you were into as a kid? So this is the funniest part. I did a lot of sports and dance, hated it all. I am not an athlete. Listen, my sisters are 6'1". My dad's an athlete. My brother's an athlete. I'm 5'6". Um, so we had to play sports in order to build character. Um, but I preferred to have built character in other ways. I wanted to do more things like debate club in the morning news. Um, but I had to play sports. So I was a middle hitter playing volleyball. And I don't know if you know anything about volleyball, but mm -hmm. middle hitter it, it, you have to be the tallest person on the team. And I was pretty much the shortest. So, uh, <laughs> but that's that athleticism that I think was built in because I had the, you know, highest ups. I, I could jump. So I was short, but I could jump, played volleyball growing up, um, went to Catholic school in a high school, which was an interesting experience. It got me closer to the city. And then I started to experience like a little bit more culture, a little bit of 
you know, different kinds of people who came in from Maryland and actually from D.C. and Virginia all mixing together. So it was cool. I, you know, took a lot of Spanish lessons. I played an instrument. I played volleyball. I love to cook. Um, I did everything, which is what kids from Northern Virginia do to get into college. A little bit of everything to slap on your resume. Yeah. Now, do you recall a specific moment when you were younger where you realized that broadcast journalism, news Media is definitely something that you would want to grow up and pursue when you got old enough to do it. Was like there a specific moment or was just like, was it over more of a a period of time? It was the quickest transition to me deciding I wanted to be in news. I was 16 years old, a junior in high school. um, And I just went along with my dad's idea that I was going to be a judge. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. You know me pretty well. So I'll go with that. (laughs) Um, And then it was, um, my sister passed away that year. And then I really was forced to look at my life and say like, what do I want to be doing? What is the right thing for me? And I was like, you know, I really think I want a hair and makeup team and I need a lot of attention. So let me go into TV. And (laughs) turns out I don't have a hair and a makeup team. So this was the biggest disappointment of my life. And I'm just now starting to get the attention I thought I was going to have five years ago when I walked into the industry. So (laughs) now you went to Syracuse university for college, obviously a very popular school and many media journalists. Some Mm -hmm. that I've talked to on this podcast have went there as well. I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask everyone, every media guest I have on her. Why did you choose Syracuse for college? Were there other schools that you considered going to, or was it pretty much Syracuse all the way for you? Once I made the decision for what I want to do, this is just the way I operate through life. I say, what's the end goal? Now let's work backwards. So I said, okay, boom, want to go into broadcast? Looked up Google, top broadcast schools, Syracuse. I am an East Coast girl. Like I need to be on the East Coast. So it was basically uh, Southern California or Syracuse. And I was like, well, that made it easy. So then I was just like, boom, Syracuse or bust. And I, I, I did what I had to do. Well, was it a big adjustment going to college and what were some of the things that you did while you were at Syracuse to start to prepare you for ultimately what's become your career? Mm. So it was, it was a big adjustment, but I will tell you this. I graduated from college in, in two years uh, on accident Wow! Because, yeah, because I was so excited to be in college. I've been wanting to go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, we talked about maybe, maybe this or maybe that but I knew I wanted to be in college since I was in fifth grade. And so (laughs) I know. So I finally get there and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to take that class and I'll sprinkle in a little bit of cooking, culinary arts. And I'm going to take broadcast broadcast policy studies. Sounds really cool too. Let me study that. It was just the most exciting experience for me to be able to say, I want to learn about this and I'm going to choose, you know, the subjects in that, in that topic. And so then I stayed there. I also had a boyfriend. So I secretly, um, stayed through the summers pretending like I just wanted to take more classes, but really he was there for the summer. So I was like, Oh, you know, dad, I just want to really, you know, study more (laughs) academics. So maybe you can, uh, let me stay all summer. So I just ran right through, I got to college the semester before fall and stayed fall spring, summer, fall, spring, summer. Then they're like, you got to go. I was like, wait, no, I can do more. (laughs) So that was my college experience. Very quick. I'll tell you, I mean, I didn't really like being in college when I was in college and (laughs) you wanted to go to college when you were in fifth grade. Every time I have a guest on, there's always one or two things from the interview that end up 
sticking through my mind throughout the entire process and afterwards. That's definitely going to be one of them. I don't think I've ever known somebody who in fifth grade was already looking forward to going to college. That's awesome, though. That's a compliment. It's not an insult. No, I love I love school. I still today I have a lot of issues with the amount of money people have to spend on school or else I would probably still be taking classes. I look at programs all the time. This, This is so nerdy. You're really getting me down a rabbit hole here. But I'm always looking up like master's degrees and maybe I can take something here. Maybe I'll do that. And it's like, for what? Hi, Madison. You already have a job, but it's interesting to me. Yeah. Now, before we talk about your TV career to this point, tell me a little bit, because I've been doing some research before we started talking. I went on like your LinkedIn page, stuff like that. Tell me a little bit about Behind the Ball Productions in Syracuse. You were an executive producer for about a year and a half in 2015, 2016. What was that all about? Yeah, that was actually, wow. You had my resume in front of you because I almost forgot about this. (laughs) Um, Behind the Ball Productions, um, I really was, I wanted to be a sports reporter. That's what I went to school for. I knew I was going to be a sports reporter um, until I found out that sports were things other than football. And I was like, oh, it was like a record scratch. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Lacrosse, uh, basketball. I don't know about these these other things. So behind the ball productions was really me um, working to produce sports content, um, and it was always so. My dad played professionally football for nine years. My brother played as well for about five years. And so growing up with professional athletes, I always saw people view them as these godlike figures. And I have always said there's so much more to athletes than just what you see on the field. So that's where behind the ball came from. Um, my sports content was never, you know, breaking down plays or, you know, running, you know, he's this or that. It was always like, you know, who is this person? What are they like off the field? What are what issues do they care about breaking them down to make them more than athletes? So that's really what all those productions were about and what the entire behind the ball production series was for me. That's cool. I tell you, your first job in media after college was at WVIR-TV in Charlottesville, Virginia. Firstly, I wanted to ask you, how did that opportunity come about for you? So you're in college, you're working on the project that you just talked about, and now you have an opportunity to go to Charlottesville and work. How did that opportunity come about for you? What was that process? Yep. So it was very scary leaving college. Um, as a broadcast major, it's hard to get a job. You have no experience, really. All I have was the stuff that I put together on my own. So um, my cousin was playing basketball at the University of Virginia, which is in Charlottesville. He and I were very close. And Charlottesville is two hours from home. Um, and again, I'm a homebody. I love Virginia. So I was just applying to every station. I started visiting them, going on drives from Syracuse down to Virginia when I was in college, just hoping that if something opened up, they would bring me in. And I was like, it can be sports. It can be news. It happened to be news. And so that's where my career shifted. You know, up until then, I was like, I'll go either way. And news ended up being my path because of the opening there. Um, So that's really how I ended up getting that opportunity. And I spent two years, two very, very interesting years in Charlottesville. Great town. I'm glad you said it that way, because right off the bat, when I read Charlottesville, I remember immediately the horrific, ugly racial incidents that happened in 2017. Now you're working there and it sounds like a very general blanket question. So I apologize for that, but how difficult was it covering these stories for you personally and professionally, especially so early on? I mean, like in the infancy of your news media career. Oh, absolutely. I was one year in and where there's a KKK Nazi rally in Charlottesville, Charlottesville, to give you a little background, it's very, it's similar to Buffalo city proper, very liberal. 
and then all around the outskirts, extremely conservative. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened with Charlottesville. And what we're seeing now across the country when they talk about these agitator groups coming in, Charlottesville was almost the beginning of that. That was the model for what we're seeing with some of the social unrest right now. It was the first time that an issue started locally and then groups began to come in from outside to help back up whatever side uh, they were on in this. So being there, being a young journalist, it was, you know, Pat, you just, you don't know how scared you are of racists until you have to stand in front of them and ask them what they want to say, why they're in your town. You know, I remember going up, you know, it was after the big, Unite the Right rally. It was just some of the follow-up stories and people groups kept coming back to town. And I remember I was the only one in the newsroom, a group of guys in this uniform. They were running down to the square and I, would, I had to go. So I grabbed my camera and I just, I will never forget standing there in front of this man and like holding up my camera in my right hand. And it's, it's shaking. Like my hand is just shaking and there's, and he sees it too. Um, so it was scary to to be in that situation, to see it in a town that much like Buffalo, people are saying, you know, I never thought this would happen here. These aren't the kind of people that are in this town. Um, but it was also taught me a lot about responsible journalism. And, you know, you don't need when you talk about covering all sides of the story, like racism has no place in news coverage. That is not fair or equal journalism to say, let me give you a voice just because you're here. So um, I learned a lot about like news discernment in that time and how to handle high pressure and intense emotional situations. Well, it certainly did not go unnoticed. While in the job there, you received two Virginia Associated Press Awards. So let me throw you some props for that. What, is that, what, what does that mean to you? You know, it was it, those that really started my my path in journalism in terms of what kinds of story I wanted, I want stories I wanted to tell, I should say. Um, I won those two awards for my investigative report on the probation system in Virginia, in jails, like probation in Virginia jails. And it really just taught me a lot about like using my voice to represent people who don't have one. Like you don't think of these people as people that you want to care about, like, oh, they're in jail. But it's like, wait a minute, let me tell you how much of your money is going towards keeping these people in jail for 80% of their sentence. Um, so being able to win those awards, it was just confirmation that I was on the right path, um, that I'm telling stories that matter, that I'm learning how to tell stories that um, can apply to everyone, not just a certain population. So that was really, that was encouraging for me. All right. So in the summer of 2018, you started blessing Western New Yorkers with your presence <laughs> on television screens. How exactly, like I asked you with the job in Charlottesville, how exactly did the opportunity come about for you to go join Channel 7? So Channel 7 is basically like a, an incubator for Syracuse grads in Western New York. I right. mean, there are so many SU grads at my station and one of my closest friends, from college, um, Paola Suro, she was at Channel 7 and before moving within the company to Cincinnati. And, and she was just saying, hey, you should come work here. There's a job opening. There was another job opening at another station where another one of my close friends worked. And I'm like, you know what? I, I like New York and I like Virginia. I'm just going to bounce back and forth between those two states probably for my whole career. So um, there were a couple openings up here and they just said, you got to come visit Buffalo. And I was like, mm, what everybody says about Buffalo, right? That doesn't know anything. 
oh, I think it's cold and I can get chicken wings down here, you know? <laughs> so, um, but I finally came up, I visited, I spent a few days here and I was like, wait, this is cool. I loved my newsroom. Um, and so it took a while. It took probably about four months of back and forth. And, you know, do we have an opening? Can we bring you in? And I finally, I visited this station and I visited a station in Savannah, Georgia, two hours from where my parents are now in Florida, in Jacksonville. And um, I got a job offer there making twice what the offer was in Buffalo. It was two hours from my family. And my parents were like, great, we'll see you soon down here in Georgia. And I was like, you know what? It doesn't feel right. I think Buffalo is where I got to be. Something was calling me there. Like God really said to me, Madison, I need you in Buffalo. And I was like, why? (laughs) What do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. So my parents almost disowned me. Like truly, they wanted to stop speaking to me when I said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Buffalo. That's where I feel called right now. Well, there's sticking point number two. Like I said, number one, all right, fifth grade, the college thing. Now (laughs) going to went to Georgia and you wanted to be in Buffalo. That's very interesting. And you weren't really familiar with Buffalo before the process either. Now, I know it's not far from where you went to college in Syracuse, but still that's, you know, a couple hours away, like two hours away. So you've been in Syracuse, now you live in Buffalo. Do you consider those cities like different or are they kind of the same? Um, Buffalo and Syracuse. Syracuse, very different, but very, very different. Yeah. And I mean, in Syracuse, I couldn't, you didn't get out much, but there wasn't much of a environment, a social life, like outside in Syracuse um, at all. It's very different. I, I don't even know how to describe it to you. Syracuse is, there's a college there and it's a college town. And then in Buffalo, there's so much happening with young professionals. Um, They talk about the millennial group a lot. There are people who went down to Charlotte and to Atlanta to leave Buffalo because they're like, oh, there's nothing for you here. And now they're coming back. They're buying homes. They have great jobs. They're raising families. Um, There's a lot happening and there's a lot of energy being put into bringing the city back to life. So at least there was before what happened with COVID. And now, you know, everyone's holding their breath to see how much of that life is still going to be there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Was it a pretty quick and seamless transition for you moving to Buffalo or did it take a considerable, a considerable amount of time to get used to being in Buffalo? My job doesn't give you a choice, but to get, get right in and get going. Any reporter can tell you that you, you go to a new city and any good reporter is going out as much as possible with and without their camera, handing out cards. I've asked so many people on dates I like, I walk up and I like, you know, first time I'm at the police commissioner, Hey, let's go out for coffee. First time I meet the superintendent of the jails, let's let's grab coffee, the mayor, any person you can think of. So, um, I made a lot of friends here really quickly because, and I think that's the hardest part about being a grown up is making friends. Like you sometimes have to ask people on dates. Like I I found a, yeah, I like you have to, I found a girl that I liked that work one day and I'm like, Hey, this is weird, but do you want to go out sometime? Like to be my friend? Sure. Okay. So, um, (laughs) and that's how it happens. But I just, some of the most amazing people, some of the closest friends I've ever had in my life have come from my past two years here. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you what, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head there. I was born and raised in Buffalo and have lived there almost all my life. Friends were, I I think you kind of take it for granted. It's just so easy growing up to make friends, keep friends and meet people when you're from that city. Now I've been in Florida for a couple of years now and I'm I'm at a lot. It's hard to make friends. I mean, when you move to another place, it could be very difficult for sure. Now I want to talk about your actual job itself for a second here. Kind of 
a pretty standard question. I, I ask all the media guests that I have on this podcast, like to you, what is your favorite and maybe, I don't want to say a part of the job that you don't like, but like your least favorite thing about doing what you're doing for a living? Because everybody sees people on the news, especially younger people, and are like, oh my God, I want to grow up. I want to do that too. But it's not always that easy and it's not always that fun all the time. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Um, so yes, yeah, so I can, let's start with that. The part that's hardest, one was the disappointment, realizing you don't have a hair and a makeup team because <laughs> <laughs> you have to get up and you spend the whole day running. I mean, imagine the protest, right? We were just talking about, you spend, I walked eight miles that day and then it's like, let's throw an HD camera on you. Look good too. Like look good, be informative and uh, be able to breathe as well while you walk eight miles. So that there are some parts of the job that just are not very glamorous at all. Um, and then, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's similar to police, but there are just some industries that are just under attack. You yeah. know, um, I receive some extremely nasty messages from people who just say, you know, the media is our enemy right now. Um, and that's hurtful when you're busting your butt to bring people the best, most up-to-date information. So those are parts of the job that, that aren't so great, but the parts of the job that are amazing is when you get that return for your effort. You know, when you talk about getting some of the awards, like, dang, like that felt really good that somebody noticed the work you put in or when job is helping people with unemployment, when people are calling saying, thank you so much. Like I didn't have money for eight weeks. And because you made a call because you could help elevate this, you know, my family is now eating. Um, those are the moments of the job where you're like, okay, yeah, that's why I do this to help people, to, to make people feel seen. And especially for me being a black woman in this market, um, being able to elevate the voice voices of so many, which for a long time went, you know, overlooked in this city that is so diverse. If you really look at the makeup. Sure. And in a few minutes, I kind of want to circle back to what you just said, because it's such a great point about mm -hmm. media being painted as perceived as an enemy. Thanks to, you know, leadership st starts, at the very top. And when you have the president of the United States, who's literally, I mean, not, I'm not, I'm saying word for word saying the media is the enemy of the people, you know, mm -hmm. that, that kind of shapes some minds. And it's really unfortunate that that happens. But before we talk about that though, I want you to take us inside like a little behind the ropes, a little bit on what a normal work day would be like for you now probably feels like in an eternity since things have been normal before, but before COVID before yeah. the protesting and all the stuff going on right now, you know, what was a normal workday like for you at the station? Yeah, let me go back to last year when things are a little more normal. So I am the 12 o'clock anchor. So I would come in at 11 a.m. and I'm typically doing my makeup for a little bit. Like I said, I'm going to keep harping on the fact that I don't have a hair and a makeup team because it still hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, doing glam. And then I sit and I look over my scripts. The producer writes the show. So I'm looking over all my scripts, changing the words to how I would say it, making sure I feel comfortable with the content in the show. And then 12 o'clock, boom, every day, go on anchor half hour or an hour. We've been flipping back and forth with the format for that show. And then I come back out to the newsroom where I get my assignment. Now this is a little bit different because you see on TV reporters, you think that you walk in and you get handed an assignment for the day. Most reporters are going out and finding their own stories. You know, that's the luxury. So a lot of times I'll pitch my own stories and I say, Hey, I'm working on this today. But a lot of times I'll say, what do you got for me? What am I assigned to? And they'll give me my story. So about 1 PM, so I get in at 11 by 1 PM. I've anchored a show. 
and I am making phone calls to set up a story. So let's say um, a young seven-year-old entrepreneur who sells lip gloss, the story I did. Um, so I'm calling her, calling her mom. Hey, can I come over? Okay, she's not out of school till three. Can I come over right at that moment because I have a deadline at five o'clock? Okay, go out, shoot the story at three o'clock, interviews with the girl, interviews with her mom. I'm shooting my own, my own stories. Not very good at it, but I do it anyway. Um, and I get all my B-roll. Okay, great. Book it back to the car, get back to the station. It's four o'clock. They have me in the five 30 show. So now I'm like, okay, let's put all my materials on my computer. I listen to the interviews. I transcribe them. I write a script. I have that script approved by a couple of my managers. That's another important key. Nothing goes on air that hasn't been approved much to everyone's, uh, Everyone believes that we just put whatever we want on there, but it has an approval process. And then, uh, yeah, so once my script is approved, let's say it's now five o'clock. I got 30 minutes to edit this thing together. So I record my voice. I put the interviews in. I edit the story, get screamed at my by my producer. Are you going to make deadline? I don't know. I don't know. I think so. I think I'm going to make it. Make it in at 528. The story runs at 530. And then I'm like, oh, I made it. Take a breather for a second and then go back in make the video, cut the video for the online version and write a different version of the story for website. And then I go home and I have a few drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I, that's, that's so much work. I mean, it really is. I think there's a perception that reporters yeah. like yourself get an assignment, go stand in front of wherever it is that they're reporting from, talk about it, interview where they got to interview and call it a day. You do a yep. lot of your work. You even mentioned the video editing stuff too. That's yeah. That's shoot, a lot. write, edit, shoot, write, edit, and anchor. You know, I've, I've done what I think is the heavy lifting before at the beginning of my day, you know, being presentable. And then you just, you don't even want to know what I look like by the end of the day. <laughs> do you ever get, a, do you get a little bit of extra adrenaline or nerves maybe sometimes when you're reporting something live versus being taped. Like for an example, we're, I'm taping this podcast with you right now. I ain't got no worries because if I screw something up, I and I've t we talked about this before we started rolling. I said, you know, I'll ask you this question again and I'll edit it out. The listener's never even going to know it. Now, a live show when you're on the air, yeah, you don't have that luxury. Do you feel pressure? Is it adrenaline? Is it? Do you have a sense of comfort because you've been doing it long enough now that you're nice and relaxed? Like, what's your mindset when you're live? You know, honestly, when I'm live, I almost have, it's, it's, I'm almost more calm because I have to bring it down and I know I have to perform, but this is something I learned very early on in my career, um, which I think helps me day in and day out. It's that it's live TV and you can't take yourself too seriously. I mess up every single, every single show I have, I trip over a word or I pronounce a word wrong or I do something and it's like, oops, that happened. Sometimes I acknowledge it. Sometimes I just keep moving. But it's giving me, I think, a better attitude doing live work so much because things just roll right off of me now because it has to or else you won't be able to keep going. So I feel very calm. I feel very focused and I feel very ready to just like keep going no matter what happens. So yeah, I yeah. I mean, yeah, you could strive for perfection, but you also need to know that you're never going to completely achieve perfection. Now, let's mm -hmm. talk about COVID for a second here. It hits like mm -hmm. a, a ton of bricks in March. Like I said, you were talking, taking me through a normal day in your work life before that. Um, mm -hmm. So it hits. And for you on a professional level, how much did that change things in terms of how you actually physically had to do your job and how difficult was that for you 
both professionally and, and maybe personally as well. It, it was so difficult. I, I guess I don't, I didn't realize how much of a luxury it is to be at work. Like any, you know, my job, it's a job, just like your job, any person that works any sort of nine to five, I like to go and I like to go home and leave it there. And it was so difficult mentally for journalists everywhere because we were working from home. So there is no work life balance. It's like, lay down in bed, roll out of bed, coronavirus. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, it's right there. My desk is right next to my bed. I cannot get a break. And it's also like, I don't have, you know, the materials at the ready that I need to do all those jobs I told you I had to do in one day. I had to plug five things in to make it do what the one machine did at work. So um, it was just, it was mentally exhausting. We heard everybody saying, we want to hear something other than the word coronavirus. And we're like, yeah, so do we. We want to as well, but there it was. There was no escape, and it was also devastating because again, we live in this community. I know people that you know. The first time that somebody I knew passed away, it was hard because as a journalist, you you keep moving through life. Like I just said, you just got to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And we move through so many tragic events so quickly that mentally we can't register them all, or else we wouldn't make it. We couldn't do this job. But when you finally have that one person you know that passes from a disease you report on day in and day out, it stops you in your tracks and you got to figure out how to reset and get going again. So mentally, physically, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. I have a a guy who hasn't been on recently, but he's a regular on my podcast. We do a segment where we talk some Buffalo Bills stuff. His father passed away from COVID and uh, yeah, that kind of hit. It really makes you, it makes it hits home for sure. I want to talk, I got to talk about the protesting that's going on all over, particularly for the sake of this discussion. Buffalo, you've been all over it. Now, for some people who may not have really known you before, and let me preface this by saying this, I'm talking about like, say a casual news fan, just like for an example, there's a lot of casual sports fans out there. They're not really watching every NFL regular season game. When it gets to be playoff, Super Bowl, something big, they're locked in. There's some people (laughs) like that who, who treat the news like that, like the everyday stuff. They might not be watching the news every single day. But obviously, when yeah. something major like this goes on, everybody's kind of locked in. So I feel like you really made your bones, so to speak, with the people of Western New York with your coverage of this. That, that one Saturday, so this is dropping on Friday. So I'm talking almost two weeks ago. All right, so I'm down here in Florida, okay? And obviously, I still very deeply, I have Talking Buffalo podcast. So I obviously very deeply care about Buffalo, the people of Buffalo, and stuff like that. I'm sitting home on a Saturday night. You know, there's lots of stuff to do in Florida. The weather's always nice down here. Lots of tiki bars, okay. you know, <laughs> lots of stuff to do. Yet I found myself, and again, I have a sling box player that goes through my brother-in-law's cable in Buffalo, and it affords me an opportunity to watch local television, which I quite often do. So I watch a lot of local newscasts, not mm-hmm. every day, but enough. Anyway, Saturday night, I'm sitting there, glued to my couch watching the television Ashley Rose in the studio you're there live on the scene and uh, again I watched the entire you guys went on way past just a half hour you're on here for over an hour I watched the entire thing 1300 miles away in Florida and I'm sitting there completely blown away by what I'm seeing a burning van uh, a person who, who threw a box of fire in the city hall it's one thing to watch this unfold you're watching it all unfold not as a viewer but as a reporter and not just as a reporter, but as a reporter in real time, not a chance to really 
sit there, process. gather yourself, process it, collect your thoughts. You have to work literally on the fly. Like what's going through your head as all this is unfolding? Because it was just crazy just to watch it on TV. I can't even imagine having to do that job live. I mean, you, you said it before it's when you asked me about, that was a great setup question about what's it like being live? Because it's just this, this sense of calm comes over me. And especially in a high pressure situation, the higher the pressure, the more calm I get, right? I have to be. And that's what I hope came across in that moment. Ashley Rowe killed it in the studio, just being able to set up what we were seeing, why I'm out there, what had just happened and reminding people why this was all happening. So just being out there in the moment to answer your question, it was um, insane. It was insane. <laughs> I'm out there with the crew and I have no idea what's going to happen next, but I know that I have to be able to describe it to people as they're watching it. Right. So I'm walking over and Ashley's saying, you know, Madison, make sure you're safe. Tell us you got to go if you're not safe. And I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm safe. Yes, ma'am. I got it. And then all of a sudden a line comes out, they start shooting, there's tear gas. And I'm like, yeah, Ashley, so the plants are pulled. Ashley, I'm not safe anymore. Get and it's, it's running towards this police perimeter in order to get behind it, right? So they're shooting at you, but we have to get behind them. And I'm like, that's the one moment that stands out to me from the whole night last, that past Saturday, um, was running towards the line of fire in order to get to safety. It didn't make sense what we did if you were watching it, but in the moment you're just going there and it was, um, just you're you have to describe what you're seeing and you can't hype it up so i tried to just stick to the facts stick to literally narrating what my camera was showing you in order to not hype up a situation and just be honest with people about what is happening in their city in my city well i'll tell you what i mean pure testament to you because you are reporting that calm as a narrator I, most people would be freaking the hell out. I sure as hell know I was. I probably, I probably would have either did one or two things, ran away or started swearing on TV and say, what the, you know, I'm not going to repeat it on this podcast. So, I mean, that's real testament to you to be able to keep your cool, which obviously professionally you have to do, which kind of leads to another question too. So when stuff like this goes on, not just that one day, I'm talking about collectively over the last couple of weeks, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. We all know that, nor should it. But you've got an opportunity to see the best of people and also, in some cases, the worst of people. You've seen, you've talked to people who've just been nasty, ugly people, and you've also seen a lot of kindness and a lot of good things. You kind of, is, is it easy sometimes to balance that out? Because like I said, you've seen the best and you've seen the worst of people live with the microphone in your hand. Yeah. And it's, you know, you're from Buffalo. Anybody on this podcast, if they don't know about Buffalo, they've learned from listening to you. This is the city of good neighbors. There are some amazing people in this city. So when you talk about balancing, yeah, no problem. We'll find a million good stories. What is difficult is the moment in time that we're in right now where we're not focusing on the good neighbors. Some of those bad neighbors are being, they've been hiding in plain sight. You know, some of what we've been seeing just lately, a, a well-known restaurateur uh, retired because of racist comments he made. You know, people who are work for our public safety department are saying shoot to kill and being suspended. It's it's scary for people because they did not know this is where they lived. So the moment in time we're in right now is very, very difficult, especially for people who are from Buffalo, because they're shaking their head like, no, no, this is not my town. 
And for me, I'm like, I don't want to be the bad guy, but as much as I show you the good, I got to show you what we got to work to fix as well. Um, and there's a lot of stuff coming to light right now that people are very unprepared for. There's a lot more that will be coming to light in the coming weeks that I don't think the city is necessarily ready for. And that's what makes me nervous. You have tweeted about it as everything's going down. You're the only black reporter out there. Yeah. That, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, that might be a stupid question. So I apologize if that was asked in a dumb manner, but that that's got to, that's got to bother you and as it should, you know what I mean? You're seeing everything that's going on and, and you tweeted about this yourself. I'm mm-hmm. the only black reporter out here when this is happening. Yeah. And it's not a dumb question. And I appreciate you asking me it because I, I'd love to have this discussion with people. We need to have these discussions. Sure. I am also the president of the Buffalo association of black journalists. Um, and I'm looking at my organization because I've done a great deal of work behind the scenes for the past two years, making sure that I'm not the only black reporter. I was the only black anchor at all four stations uh, up until a few months ago. And that's ridiculous for a city with this many people that look like me to not have anybody to represent them at the anchor desk. It's, it's disgusting to me. So now I've done work to make sure we have more black anchors to make sure each newsroom has the tools necessary for this moment in time where everybody in the nation is covering a story that has so much meaning to the black community, you need to make sure you have the resources. So I made sure I prepared everybody for this very moment we are in right now before I even knew we were going to get here. So the reason I tweeted that was me looking and saying, where did I go wrong? I thought I did what I had to do to make sure you had what you needed to serve your community at my competitor stations. I wanted to make sure they could serve our community the best way possible. And I, like I said, there were some of the best journalists in this town that were out there with me, but then there were also journalists who were sitting there like, oh my gosh, wow, this is so exciting. Look at this action. And right. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Look at this action. Like, yeah. This is devastating to me. So that's where I was like, there is something wrong here. And even if you're not going to, you don't need to put the black report in the black story every time. No, but are we covering the story the right way? Are we missing any angles? Um, are we serving our community the best way? That's why we need black reporters in newsrooms or out in the field. So it, it was disappointing, disheartening to see because I knew that what I could provide coverage wise for my viewers, our viewers, other stations weren't necessarily getting in that moment or even in moments following. It's a team effort, right? We have sure. team coverage. So, you know, put your strong reporter out there because they're the best live. Maybe they're not black, but they're the best live. Have them out there and then have your, you know, other reporter cover this angle. But we're still not even seeing that. Um, so I have a call with some newsrooms later this week where I want to talk about what's going on. Why yeah. am I seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah. Well, thank God for people like you. I'm, and I truly mean that. I, I really do. I want to address one more thing that you talked about this earlier during our interview. And unfortunately it, it has struck you and, and your family hard. And that's type one diabetes. You've lived with this for over 20 years sadly it took your sister when you were very young it's not really necessary to ask you how hard that's been but i do want to ask you about how much bringing awareness to this disease means to you and some of the things that you've been able to do in your position yeah so this is um thank you for the question um it obviously is something that i live with every day and i've had to as i became an adult i kind of moved away from the bringing awareness. I see so many causes and it's, you know, breast cancer awareness, autism awareness. And I kind of look at those things as somebody who lives with the disease, like, well, what is, 
what is it going to do for me if you just know how difficult my life is? What is that going to do for me? I don't right. need that. I don't right. need sympathy. What I need is money to survive. I talked about graduating early from college. I was 20 years old. It was partially because I enjoyed college, partially because I had to graduate and start my career at that age because I was making $24,000 and I knew that I had, I had six years, six years before I got kicked off my dad's insurance. And if I was making $24,000, um, when I was kicked off insurance, I could not afford to do this job, a job that I think, you know, I hope my voice brings something important to the industry. So there's a confusing way to say it's very expensive to live with type one diabetes. Um, it costs about $3,100 per month for the medications I need to stay alive wow. and to stay healthy. Yes, per month. And so what I need is not awareness I need somebody to figure out how we're going to keep kids. The most vulnerable population for type one diabetics is not the older people. It's people who are turning 26. They are rationing medicine and they are dying all across our country. Diabetics at 26 years old. Wow. So, so when I talk about awareness, it's, it's that it's awareness at the, the governmental level to put caps on insulin prices, um, to, to help people with funds, with grants, with that. I don't care if you know what diabetes means or if you think that I can't have sugar, that's not going to do anything for me. I, I need to be able to pay to live. So that's, that's where I try to put my voice and my efforts. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I want to kind of circle back. I want to talk about a few topics, a little bit more cherry as we hit yeah. the home stretch here. I don't want this interview to delve into depressing because I keep bringing it up. Yeah. I mean, but shit's real. That's what's going on in this world. And we need to talk about it for sure. But you've been in Buffalo for a bit now. What's the community? What, what do you like most about the community of Buffalo? Like the parts of it that are making you very proud to call Buffalo your home. And again, the ugliness, which is going on all over this country, by the way, right now, that aside mm -hmm. right now, just as a whole, in, in the couple of years you've been there, what do you like most about Buffalo? I'm so glad you said that makes me proud to call Buffalo my home because that's really how I feel like I love home I love DC but I tell anybody and anybody who sees me or my work or in person they know that I love the 716 like this is my home this is my town and I think it's just the attitude that people have here the confidence that anyone has to accomplish things you know people are sitting around the town of people in Buffalo they are some hustlers and that's the energy that I appreciate the most. Like I told you, where I grew up, everything was handed to you. People here, they're like, I want that and I'm going to go get it. And I love that attitude so much. It's taught me and it's made me grow so much as a woman into that spirit as well. Sure. Uh, some of your coworkers at Channel 7, I've had an opportunity to have plenty of them on this podcast. I've had Matt Beauvais and Jenna Cleary from the <laughs> sports department. I've had Ashley on. I've had Rebecca Thornburg. Mm -hmm. it, it seems to me, at least anyway, like you guys, I mean, like every company, I'm sure there's a little bickering here and there, but for the most part, yeah. it seems like channel seven is a pretty close knit community. And I'll tell you this much too. Mm -hmm. Everyone seems, at least the people that I've talked to in my deals with them, it's like, I have someone on the show. They're like, Oh, you need to talk to this person. You need to have this person <laughs> and stuff like that. Where I'm not dissing the other TV stations here, but there's a reason why I've yeah. had like five, six people on from channel seven and like yeah. one or two at the most on from the other ones. But what's your relationship like? with your coworkers at channel seven. It's exactly what it looks like. And you know, that's a big reason when we talk about me not going to, to Georgia versus here, it's looking at the newsroom culture. I had a producer look at me in my eyes and I will never forget this. When I came on my interview she's like, if you uh, think that you can harm this culture in any way, do not come here. 
And I was like, oh, she said, this is a newsroom where we like each other. We care about each other. We are truly on a team. And if you don't have that attitude, you don't need to come here. And I said, yes, ma'am. Like I, you know, and so that is it. We all were friends. We like each other. We care about each other. Like what you said. Yeah, we have issues, but it's always about, you know, should we cover it this way or that way? Not, I don't like you or I don't like how you spoke to me. So working at Channel 7 has been one of the best experiences of my life because there are some of the best people I know as human beings and as journalists in that newsroom. Now, you've been busy with your work since you've been in Buffalo. Have you had an opportunity to find a couple, this is something that's near and dear to my heart, a few favorite wing spots or, or pizza joints that you really like to hit up when you get a chance? Have you, have you, have you had a couple yet that you really like? Okay, Barbell's number one for me. Uh-huh. And then we're going to go to Elmo's after that. And then, mm, nope, those are my top two. My favorite pizza spot is, it's called Sports City Pub. And it's not one that's very popular, but it's around the corner from me. I'm proud West Sider. And it is yes. so, so good to me. Um, they just moved over here. I can't remember where they were, but it's amazing pizza. So yeah, for sure. But Barbell, they're Mozzaluna. Um, with the wings and a good cider, I might go there right now. You have me all excited. Well, I, I'll tell you what, seeing Barbell and Elmo's, now I know you're definitely in the media because that's very popular. Things. <laughs> By the way, West Side. I'm from, I'm born and raised on the West Side. Oh, I'm on the I'm on the Upper West Side. Cool. So um, I, that's where I was born and raised. I was born and raised not far from Lafayette High School. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like right around that area. So I, I know I knew the place that you were talking about instantly. All right, last qu- last question here, and then I'm gonna we're gonna end with the fun fact finale. I do that with all my first time guests, and this is something I love asking people like yourself because I know there's a lot of people, younger people right now listening, who you know they may be younger, they may have some interest in getting into the media business in some way, shape, or form. Maybe whether it's print, digital, whatever it may be, TV, radio. What's the best advice that you could give someone right now who's young who wants to break into this business ultimately? Someone who's young and wants to break into the business, I would say consume as much news as possible, Um, especially locally. Local news and network news is very different, and you need to understand the differences before you get into the industry. Um, And honestly, the biggest piece of advice, if you're not in college yet, is to go somewhere local. Don't spend a bunch of money on college. I spent, you know, $200,000 for SU. I love it. I love Syracuse. But I went there because they said the best journalists are trained here. And I said, okay, that's where I want to go. And then I went to my first newsroom and there were people who went to the local colleges and paid a quarter of what I paid. And they're like, yeah, that's cute. You went there, but look at us all here in the same place. (laughs) And I was like, oh, oh, wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, I would say go where it makes sense economically for you and consume as much news as possible. It's not about where you went. It's about your talent. And that's hard to teach, you know? Yeah, uh, that's legit good advice. Don't go overspending on college if you don't need to. I love that. All right, so here's how we're going to do it. We end fun fact finale. I'm just going to ask you some random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Kind of one of those, bam, bam. You know, you think of the answer and and shout it out. And that's how we're going to end this. You good? You ready to go? I'm good. Let's go. Favorite, because you did say at least football anyway. You like football. Who's your favorite all-time athlete? So my real answer is probably Serena Williams, but I think the answer I should say it might be my dad. I don't know. Maybe he'll send me some money if he hears this and I say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Favorite city that you have visited? I'm not sure how many opportunities you've had to get out and, and visit other cities, but do you have one? 
It's probably Washington, D.C. Growing up outside of D.C., I still, that is my favorite city, hands down. D.C. proper. Okay. Who was your first celebrity crush that you can remember? (laughs) That I can remember. Okay. So he's better known as Drake now, rapper Drake. But I remember Aubrey Graham, who was on this Canadian TV show, Degrassi, before he blew up and became a big rapper. So Aubrey Graham... Pre-Drake was my first celebrity crush. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's your go-to snack? Like as late at night, you just put in a hard day's work, you're tossing and turning, you can't sleep, you're going to get up middle of the night or whatever, you, you really want a snack. What are you going after? Oh, gosh. Going after probably some Twizzlers. Okay. Yeah. What, Sweet tooth. What movie have you probably rewatched more than any other movie you've ever seen? Oh, now you want to embarrass me and tell people that The Notebook is my favorite movie? <laughs> Rom-coms? Okay, that's it. <laughs> I tried, you know, I tried to deny for years and years that I ever even watched that movie. And now <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I hear you. It's a classic. Uh, it's up yeah. there for me too. I just wouldn't admit it either. All right. <laughs> what, what what do you consider your worst habit? So I'm, I'm kind of calling you out here. Like, what's your worst habit? Gosh, you know. Honestly, this is bad. I'm calling myself out, but it's probably like turning the conversation back to me. Like I have the, it's the worst habit I have. Like I'll be saying, Hey, how's your day? Oh, great. I went to the beach. You know, I, love <laughs> I really do love going to the beaches. Okay. But I'm sorry. Back to you. Back to you. Yeah. We had some wine, some crackers. Oh, you know what? I picked up this wine from the store that I love. I don't really like this one as much as I like that wine, but my mom's like, we're talking about me, Madison. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Back to you. Back to you. So, <laughs> Wow, we have a lot more in common than I ever would have thought possible because I do the exact same thing. I'm kind of asking you a question to set it back up for what I really want to tell you. Exactly. I don't want to talk about me, but I'm just pretending that I called to talk about you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Name a TV game show that you, if you were on it, that you feel like you could potentially dominate. It could be a current game show. It could be something from the past. Any game show at all. I feel like Family Feud. And I'm only saying that because I love watching the clips of just the crazy answers. And I, I think that would be me just throwing out something completely not ever going to be on the board and my family being very embarrassed. So I'm going to go with family feud. Okay. This is always my favorite one of these uh, fun fact finale questions. Instead of doing an interview right now via Skype connection, which is always shaky and we're 1300 (laughs) miles away. Let's pretend we're both in Buffalo right now. There's nothing crazy going on in the world. COVID is fine. We were at a bar instead of doing this interview Mm -hmm. or a tavern or whatever some food, couple drinks, whatever. And there's karaoke going on. And in this world, Madison Carter is an incredible singer. And I say, Madison, get your ass up there. Get, grab the mic. What song are you going to rock out or a slow jam, whatever it may be, that's going to get the crowd singing along with you totally into it. Like what is your signature karaoke song, at least in your own mind anyway? In my own mind. Um, okay. I think it would have to be, and I'm only saying this because this actually happened in real life. It would have to be Beyonce's Crazy in Love. Kind of a throwback. I think that was like a 2003 hit. Yeah. But I just remember going up there after work one day, the whole crowd was going crazy. And so that's going to be my, my go-to forever. I can get the crowd going on that. <laughs> okay. Now, if you had never gotten involved in this industry in any fashion, or let's just say you went to Syracuse, you gave it a go, and it just you realize it, it's just not going to work for you. What do you mm-hmm. think you may have ended up doing with your life? Um, 100%. I would have been on, on the track to be a judge. I am a black and white justice warrior. So even in my work today, so I would have just had the official robe to go with it <laughs> if I wasn't doing this. Okay. 
Last couple here. So I just peeked at your Twitter like right mm-hmm. now. You're following 659 people on Twitter right now. Amongst them, who's your favorite Twitter follow? This is a hard question. Okay. Like if you could only, um, and if you could only keep one, like let's yeah. say Twitter sent you a policy saying, you know what? We're taking every single thing that you follow on Twitter away except for one. So you could only have yeah. one follow. What, what would it mm-hmm. be? I think it would have to be Daniel Dale. He's a, re- he's a reporter that CNN hired specifically to be a fact checker. Like he is a fact checker reporter and yeah. following him online is so fascinating because as journalists are always like, was that true? Should I tell people this or no? And it's just to see him fact checking every politician as they are out there live. It's like, where do you store this information? Right. Yeah. So he's definitely my favorite follow. I don't yeah. know. I don't know him from Twitter, but I do know him from CNN. I see him quite yep. often when they were having the daily briefings, he would be on not long after one of oh, those yes. and he would be fact checking and shooting a lot of shit down. That was yeah, get, on, get him on Twitter. Just like the, and I just love his tone because I don't know if you follow me, you see like sometimes I have a little, little personality with my tweets. I yeah. try to keep it factual with a little personality and that's definitely him. So it's great. Okay. There. okay. Second last question here. I want you to give me a fun fact about yourself that most people probably wouldn't know. Now, again, we've been talking for almost an hour. You've already laid out a bunch of fun things, but give me one more, something most people probably don't know about you. Most people don't know about me. Um, I am a very, I'm a great chef and I grew up in the South, right? So think about like those Southern dishes that I definitely grew up learning. And then all of a sudden I was dating a guy who was a vegetarian and I was like, wait a minute, I'm not a vegetarian chef, but you know what? I am now and I'm a great one. So that's my fun fact. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Last one here. So, and I ask everyone the same thing. You could have three celebrity or historic theater guests from any era in time over your house tonight for some food. You're going to cook some good food, have a couple drinks or whatever, and you could have three people with you. Who, who are you going to have? Okay. First one for sure would be my great grandmother. There is like a whole long story making it short. She has a whole bunch of family history that like nobody has yet. So everyone's trying to figure out how to get her drunk enough to just get all of the, that oral history out. <laughs> so I'm, I've been trying to get her to a dinner for a long time. Um, and so that would be my first guess. My second guess would probably be James. Um, anybody familiar with the Bible? He's Jesus's brother. And it's just like, I don't know. It took me to be an adult to realize like, wait a minute, like Jesus had a brother. A half brother, like I gotta, I gotta hear some of these stories, like from a brother's <laughs> perspective about one of the most famous people in history. So, okay, so James, my great grandma, and then maybe Larry King. He's really known as one of like the best interviewers of our time, and I, he, he, he's been doing this through a few eras of television. So, I think he'd be interesting to talk to. Those are my three guests. Right, good stuff. Everyone out there on Twitter, follow Madison at Madison L Carter, of course. Check out her work at Channel 7. She's killing it. I'll tell you what, Madison. Like I said, I've become a big fan recently. I've gotten to know you a lot more, after, especially after this. <laughs> I really like you. You're awesome. And you're, from the, you're growing up and you're living on the West Side, too. West Side. I love it over here. I'm a proud West Sider. I will always rep the rest, West Side no matter where I go in life now. All right, boys and girls, that's it for today. Let me leave you with one more Madison Carter hot take. You ready? Here it is. Buffalonians 
enjoy the work that she's doing in Western New York now because it's not going to last forever. I'm telling you right now, there's going to come a day where Madison Carter is being seen on CNN or ABC World News tonight, something like that at an anchor desk or out in the field reporting on national news. That's where her career is headed. I'm telling you that right now. Unbelievable guest. So talented. I love that. Thanks again, Madison. Also want to thank today's show supporters, Audimute, 26 shirts, and Sounds Assured. Guys, if you have not done so already, please go ahead, subscribe to this podcast, rating review, all that fun stuff. It really helps me continue to grow the show. Of course, you can catch us on any of the major podcasting platforms out there. Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all of them. Tune in. You name it. We're on it. You can also find us on YouTube. We have our own YouTube channel, Talking Buffalo Podcast. That's different than the podcast, by the way. We have highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. Some original, at least audio content coming your way real soon. Then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Pamoran Tweets. I say it every week. You really want to get a hold of me. Don't bother calling me or emailing, texting, any of that other crap. Just look me up on Twitter. That's where you'll find me, at Pamoran Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I end every podcast the exact same way because I know how many podcasts are out there. There's a trillion of them and competition is fierce. So if you're listening in on this one, that means a lot to me. It really does. So thank you very much. Have a good one. Stay safe. I'll be back with a brand new episode really soon. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.